Wilder Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now, I want to take a few moments and simply just remind us of what we have been doing. Uh, So take your Bibles out, the Word of God out, turn in them to the book of 2 Peter and chapter number 1. So 2 Peter chapter number 1. Now, two Sundays ago, we, we launched a new series entitled, Be Diligent to Grow, where we're looking at truth from 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'm just going to back up for a moment, since it was two weeks ago, and just to remind us a little bit of what's going on as we enter into 2 Peter. We are receiving spiritual counsel from Peter, and Peter is anticipating exiting this world shortly. So you know what he's going to say is very heartfelt and will also be very strategic because he only has a little time left. When we began our study, we laid out the book for you. Uh, Chapter number one, we said, is about the cultivation of spiritual maturity. Chapter number two is caution about false teachers. Chapter number three is confidence in Jesus' return. But in this series, we're only focusing on chapter number one. And the emphasis is going to be on exhortation. The theme is holiness. And the focus is really what we must be paying attention to individually. Now, I want to remind you that as he writes this letter called 2 Peter, the recipients of this letter have been born again spiritually. They have made a life choice to place their faith in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. We saw in verse 1, he says, I am writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. He says, your faith is legitimate as my faith as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then last time we examined this quote from Warren Wearsby, where he says, in the physical realm, a normal baby is born with all the equipment he needs for life and only needs to grow. Now think about that in the physical realm. If you have a normal baby that is born with all the equipment that they need, five years later, that baby can't really walk or talk or feed itself. We conclude something is really awry. Well, that physical analogy has a parallel in the spiritual realm because he goes on to say, so the Christian has all that is needed and only needs to grow. And last time we saw that, particularly in verses 3 and 4, a key verb is the verb granted. It means to have something bestowed or to be endowed with something. In verse 3, he says, you have been granted a past tense event with the ramifications carrying on into the future. You've been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, we saw complete spiritual resources were given to us the moment we trusted in Christ. And then in verse 4, we saw the same idea. He said, you've been granted, you've been bestowed, you've been endowed with God's precious, magnificent, great promises. In other words, we saw last time, everything required for us to grow spiritually, everything required for us to live a godly life has been granted to us, bestowed on us, we have been endowed with it. But we did say last time, 
Spiritual growth is not an automatic thing. And it is a tragic thing for someone to remain a spiritual baby for multiple years. I can say that because that was true in my life. Where I was born spiritually, I was born as a spiritual baby, but for eight years, I never experienced spiritual growth. Now, part of the reason why, I think, was there was no one to instruct me like Peter is instructing me. I just didn't really understand it. I knew I was trusting in Christ and the work he did on the cross for eternal life. But I never went beyond that. As best as I could figure it, you know, what God wanted me to do was to sort of check in with him occasionally, especially when there was a big decision to be made, like going to college. So I just sort of lived my life got ready to go to college, and I thought, you know, I need to pay attention here because I need to check in with God on this one. This is a big one. And I kind of operated with this mentality. I can do a lot of different things, but I'm just not going to go crazy dishonoring Jesus. I won't do that. But other than that, I can sort of live my life the way I think I should live my life. And I was just coasting along. And then eight years later, God brought me in an intersection with someone who sat me down and began to teach me the very things that Peter wants us to learn today, that he's communicating to us. I have entitled the message today, Born to Grow. That is true of all of us. Born to Grow. It comes from chapter 1, verses 5 to 11. Now, normally, if you've been around Wildwood for a while, you know that I preach from the New American Standard Bible. Why do I do that? Well, it's one of multiple good translations, but I began using the New American Standard in 1970. I've been using it for 51 years. I'm still very familiar with it, but today I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to preach from the ESV, the English Standard Version, and the reason why I've chosen to do that is I think the ESV translation of these verses is a little smoother than the New American Standard. That doesn't mean I'm through with New American Standard, but today we're in ESV. And so I want to read from chapter 1, verses 5 to 11, invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I'm reading. See what Peter has to say to us. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we have an outline for today's verses that we're going to be looking at. It breaks into two sections. First of all, we're going to see that active faith breeds spiritual character. We see that in verses 5 to 7. 
Secondly, we're going to see that spiritual growth brings practical benefits, and we see that in verses 8 to 11. So let's tackle this very first section where we see that active faith breeds spiritual character. Look at verse 5. Notice how it begins. He says, for this very reason. What reason is he talking about? Well, he's pointing back to verses 3 and 4. He's pointing back to God's great provision. He's pointing back to the complete spiritual resources that we received the moment we trusted in Christ. He's pointing back to those precious and magnificent and great promises that we have. In light of all of those resources, he says in verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. I want to look at that little verbal phrase there in, in verse 5, make every effort. And I want to talk about two things before we really dive into these verses. The first one is this, just a reminder. Spiritual growth is not automatic. Spiritual growth is not something we passively experience. Rather, he's saying it's something that must be actively pursued. I love the way Zane Hodges kind of summarizes all this. He says, this does not mean that the believer does this all on his own. God supplies the basic resources and provides help along the way. But here we go. But Christian growth will not occur apart from our diligent participation in the process. I mean, we're born spiritually. Do we grow ourselves? No. Well, how does all this dynamic work? Well, one way we can help to illustrate it is through the sport of windsurfing. Hit the button again. There we go, windsurfing. Now, I don't know how many people have ever been windsurfing. So a number of us have. I haven't. But I did a little research on it, and it's a combination of surfing and sailing. And it has been an Olympic sport for many of the recent years. I'm not sure it's going to be Olympic sport this year. But here's the idea behind windsurfing. The wind is what provides the power and the resources to make progress. I mean, when you windsurf, it's not that you do it all, you know, you churn it out. It's not being on a board and, you know, hand paddling yourself along or, or foot paddling yourself, you know, through the water like that. It's not something where we just sort of sit on our backside on the board and we progress. No, the idea of windsurfing is that we utilize the wind to progress, that we navigate, that we lean into the wind, that we tack back and forth that we position ourselves with the rig properly, that we, we maintain our balance. We have to trust the equipment. We may have to lean back and trust that equipment, lean back towards the water. But the whole picture of windsurfing is that there's an active involvement we have in the process. We're not doing all the paddling, but we're involved in that process. And I think that's really what Peter is trying to communicate to us. If we sit passively, there will be no spiritual progress. We must utilize the resources that God has provided. We must maintain spiritual balance, and then we can grow. 
So the first thing I just want to observe here is that spiritual growth is not automatic. It must be actively pursued. Second thing I want to notice as we move into these verses is he's going to mention there seven qualities that we should supplement to our faith in Christ. Now, some interpreters, when they look at these seven qualities, they say, well, what these seven qualities are, are steps on a ladder. So first you do this one, and then when you got that one handled, you move to the next step, and then you move to the next step, and then you move to the next step. I don't personally think that's the best way to understand these seven qualities. I rather view them as spokes on a wheel. We're going to have seven qualities that we should supplement to our faith in Christ. They're like spokes on a wheel, and you need all the spokes there to make smooth progress. So let's take a little closer look at all of this. Verse 5, he says, we should be diligent to supplement our faith in Christ with virtue. What is virtue? Well, the NIV translates it goodness. The New American Standard translates it moral excellence. Interestingly, it is the same word as the last word in verse 3, where it's talking about Jesus who called us into his own glory and excellence. That word is the same word. It's referring to the excellence of Jesus. I think here's what he's saying. Add to your faith virtue. He's saying, make Jesus your model. Look to him. Learn from him. And that's one of the things I think we do when we're studying the Gospels. We're looking at Jesus. What kind of character do you have? How did he relate to people? What can we learn from him? And then in verse 5, he says, then supplement virtue with knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Well, it's his knowledge. And his knowledge tells us how we are to live life. You know, when you, when you are born as, as a physical baby, you don't know how life operates. The same thing is true with us spiritually when we're born. We don't really know how the spiritual life operates. But we can gain knowledge from God. Many of you were around when I, I did a series on the book of Ecclesiastes, which is one of my favorite books in, in all of Scripture. And he talks about how life works, the good sides of life, the dark sides of life, the bright sides of life, everything under the sun, what life is really all about. It's a great book because it, it gives us God's knowledge. We don't have to experiment. We can learn from him. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, an interesting verse, it says, solid food is for the mature. Well, who are the mature? Those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Wow, what a great verse that is. And I want you to know that in my early years of my spiritual life, after I had trusted in Christ and his work on the cross for me, I had virtually no discernment at all. I had none. I was just flying by the seat of my pants. You know, uh, I grew up in the 60s, and I had people, I remember in the 60s coming up, and they would say things like this, marriage, <laughs> who needs that? It's just a piece of paper, nothing more. And you know what my response to that was? Yeah, it sounds about right to me. I mean, that's all the more discernment I had. 
But, you know, as I grew spiritually, I began to see, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is the one who invented marriage. God designed marriage. It has purposes to it. There's a plan to it. And that's one of the reasons why I've spent 25 years working with family life and speaking at marriage getaways. Because I don't just have that idea, well, it's not a big deal, just a piece of paper. No, it's a whole lot more than that. And eventually, as I've been seeking to hone my discernment and my knowledge, I now not only know what is right, I know why it is right. And that's part of what spiritual growth is to involve. Verse 6, he said, supplement knowledge with self-control. What is that referring to? That's referring to the control of our fleshly desires, where we are not like the world, where we are not controlled by money. We're not controlled by seeking to be popular. It's one of the things that drives me nuts about politicians. It's all they seem to care about is being popular. It means we're not controlled by drugs. It means we're not controlled by sex, and we are in a sex-saturated society. I love it when I run into young people who are still single, and they say, I, I want to save sex for intimacy in marriage. Oh, that's great godly wisdom. Verse 6, we need to supplement self-control, he says, with steadfastness. The New American Standard and the NIV translate it perseverance. If you've been around me for a while, you know it's one of my favorite words in the New Testament. It's the word hupamene. Hupamene refers to the ability to hold up under pressure. It refers to staying power in the face of difficulty. And you can just jot down James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. We learn there that the ability to keep keeping on in the spiritual life is developed by enduring trials in life. You, you wonder, why did God bring that into my life? Because he wants to develop steadfastness and endurance and hupamene in our life. That's why he brings that in there. And as we endure those things, our ability to keep keeping on gets stronger. He says, verse 6, we need to supplement steadfastness with godliness. What's that referring to? I, I think it's referring to godly character. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says to those believers, train yourself for godliness. See, we're involved in this process. He says, for while bodily training, it's on the physical realm, is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life, it benefits us now as we live our life, but also for the life to come. One who is godly has their priorities in order. Someone who is godly is making decisions that are wise and God-honoring. And then he says in verse 7, we should supplement godliness with brotherly affection. So what's that referring to? The New American Standard translates it brotherly kindness. The NIV Mutual affection. It's actually the word Philadelphia. And this is one area I know that Peter really grew in. You remember, he was the verbal leader of the disciples. And 
Think about how many times they got into an argument, and you know Peter was right in the middle of it. Which one of us is the greatest? <laughs> I'm greater than you are, you know, putting you down a little bit. Remember what you did over there? And said, you know, he was that way when he was younger spiritually, but he grew up. And he developed a true caring for other believers. That's one of the reasons why he was writing this letter, taking time to write this letter to show brotherly affection and kindness to others. You know, sometimes I think we need to put a little clothing on this concept of brotherly kindness or brotherly affection. I like the way Stanley Baldwin summarizes it. He says it this way, and he's great illustrations here. He says, brotherly kindness is the concern for another's ministry that Barnabas showed when he brought Paul from obscurity in Tarsus to a place of ministry in the thriving church at Antioch. He says, brotherly kindness is the kind of concern for a weaker brother shown by the same Barnabas when he insisted that John Mark should get another chance despite his having failed on his first missionary journey. He says, brotherly kindness is the gentle, meek restoring of a brother or sister who has fallen when other people are condemning them and gossiping about them. He says, brotherly kindness, I like this one, is noticing the young, the old, the poor, the unattractive. It is treating them as if they really are somebodies, even if no one else seems to think so, and even if they don't think so themselves. It is knowing that in God's eyes, they count, and so they count to you also. Wow. That's part of what we're to be displaying. It's part of the seven spikes of the wheel. And then in verse 7, he says, to our brotherly affection, we should supplement it with love. And this is that sacrificial love. It's the 1 Corinthians 13 love where the definition of this is my commitment to your needs and best interest regardless of the cost. And you know, you look at that particular quality, it's not something we manufacture by our flesh. That's why it is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. So in today's outline, we are first looking at how active faith breeds spiritual character. Now we want to shift a little bit and see how spiritual growth brings practical benefits, and we see that in verses 8 to 11. So let's look at the very first benefit that comes to us through spiritual growth, and that is we are effective and fruitful rather than ineffective and unfruitful. Look at verse 8. He says, If these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a key phrase there is this one where he says in verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are increasing. I don't know if you've ever realized it or not, but you know that spiritual growth is never static. At any one given moment, we are either progressing 
in our spiritual growth or we are drifting backwards somewhat in our spiritual growth. You never stay exactly the same place. That's why we can't rest on past achievements. We can't say, well, you know, I really was doing this and I was really developing this and I was, you know, getting God's perspective and knowledge in my life, but, you know, I've been busy doing other things. You never stay exactly static. We're either progressing or we're drifting slightly. It says, these things will keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful. The New American Standard uses the word useful, being useful and fruitful. Now, let me ask you this question. Being useful and fruitful to whom? The answer is to the Savior, right? Being useful and fruitful to Him. One of the most fulfilling elements in my life is seeing God use me. You know, sometimes when I reflect on that, to be honest, tears start to well up in my eyes. I'm just so humbled by it. The God of the universe <laughs> wants to use me. And I want you to know that he wants to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to use you part of the plan. And it is not limited to extroverts, type A personalities, you know, those who have public speaking gifts. He also loves to use those who are introverts, those who have laid back personalities, those who are more into serving rather than public speaking. It's just an amazing experience to see God use you. He also goes on to say, second, spiritual growth brings this benefit. We are spiritually insightful rather than severely nearsighted. That's verse 9. Look at verse 9. He says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his formal sins, former sins. Whoever lacks these qualities, the New Living Translation puts it this way, those who fail to develop in this way, he said, really are suffering from spiritual amnesia. We've lost sight of the greatness of our forgiveness. It doesn't mean we just don't remember up in our head that he died for me and that led to my forgiveness. It's just that we're not really functioning in our everyday operation remembering that. We can find ourselves, even as a follower of Christ, somewhat unmotivated, practically speaking, daily speaking, by the cross. We get this spiritual amnesia going. We fail to grasp. We forget what we're called to be in this world. You can jot down 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. Chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. We forget that we are ambassadors for Christ. in this world. And that has ramifications. The third benefit he mentions is that spiritual growth brings spiritual stability rather than instability, and we see that there in verse 10. 
Notice he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Now, verse 10 is a confusing verse to many people. And for a while, I was very confused by the verse. I didn't really quite understand what was being said. Now, here's what some interpreters say about this verse. And I respect many of these interpreters. But here's what they say Peter's saying. He's saying, they would say, you cannot be certain you are a believer unless all these qualities are operative in your life. You can't really know until you see all the spokes of the wheel operational in your life. I I just can't buy that interpretation. For one thing, my own spiritual story counters that. Because I knew what I was counting on for my eternity and my forgiveness. I didn't have all those spokes operational in my life. Not only that, but, but Peter has already affirmed their faith over and over again. Peter has confidence in their faith. Remember in verse 1, he says, you received the same kind of faith as me, faith of equal standing as me as an apostle. He says in verses 3 and verse 4, God has granted to you these resources. In verse 5, he talks about your faith. In verse 8, he talks about a true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he says, if you're not really developing in these ways, you've forgotten that you have been cleansed past tense from your former sins. In verse 10, he addresses them as brothers. Peter doesn't have any question about their faith. Why should they be questioning their faith? Well, what is he talking about here? Well, look at verse 10 again. He says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. That is a verb that means to certify. Now, is he saying you need to certify your salvation to yourselves? I don't think so. I think he's saying, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling to others to show them and demonstrate the reality of your spiritual life to other people. In other words, let's put it this way. He says, you need more than profession of faith. You need progression in faith. See, we we all know someone might, just think of one individual, and they might profess faith in Christ. But we're really not sure what's happening with them spiritually. But when we see progression in faith in Christ, when we see the spokes developing in their life, That tells us that definitely is someone who's trusted in Christ. We see the spiritual growth in their life. He says in verse 10, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That word never is the strongest construction you can make in the original language. It means you will never, absolutely never, ever fall. What's he saying? Well, he's not saying we'll never sin because we we do do that. But what he's saying is if you practice these qualities, you will avoid a spiritual collapse in your life. There's not going to be a spiritual tragedy in your life if you're practicing these qualities. And then the fourth benefit that spiritual growth brings 
is a special future blessing. And we see that in verse 11. Look at verse 11. It says, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I I just love the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says this, God will give you a grand entrance. You know that all followers of Jesus, all believers in Jesus Christ will arrive in heaven. Romans chapter 8 is so clear on that, especially that second half of the chapter. But what he's saying is, while all believers are going to arrive in heaven, he's saying that some are going to experience an extra special welcome. And that is those who have been actively growing in their walk with Christ. Everybody is going to have, who knows Christ as Savior is going to arrive in heaven. But there's going to be an extra special, rich welcome that will come to those who've been actively growing spiritually. Where we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I know that some of us here today are are older than me, but I want you to know this if you're younger, that as you age, that future, rich, special blessing becomes more precious to you. It becomes sweeter. You long to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. The issue here in this verse is not that we have lived perfectly, but that we have been diligent in seeking to grow. That we sought to faithfully utilize the resources that he has provided. That we look to him, we learn from him, we rely on him. I take you back to that quote from Wearsby. Christian growth will not occur apart from our diligent participation in the process. Now, that, that's the information that Peter wanted to convey to us today. What do we do from here? What life response can we take? What practical steps can we take? And I'm going to share two different things. First of all, I want to share three principles that have been very, very, very meaningful in my own spiritual life. And then I want to look very briefly at the five follows we have here at Wildwood, okay? So when it, when it comes to actively growing, having Christian growth, I want to share three principles that have meant a lot to me. The first one is regular obedience to Scripture. Don't underestimate that. God is light years wiser than us. He knows how life works. Why do you want to be experimenting like the world is? You know, trying it and then they fail and it's a dead end. You don't have to do that with God. He knows how life works. He knows the future. He knows how the story ends. And so what's been really helpful to me in my own personal spiritual growth is regular obedience to Scripture. Second principle that has been meaningful to me is everyday reliance on the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm leaving, I'm going back to heaven, but I'm going to give you a helper, the Holy Spirit. 
And he will help to lead you. He will help to guide you. He will help to strengthen you. He will help to empower you. And so that principle also has been critical to me in my spiritual growth. And then the third principle I would share that's been really meaningful to me is a priority focus on honoring the Savior. That principle has had a huge influence in my spiritual life. Huge. You know, when you're looking at decisions, you're looking at relationships, you're looking at attitude responses, you know, having a focus on honoring the Savior, on glorifying Jesus, makes all the difference in the world. All the difference. So those three principles have been very important to me. But I also want to talk about the five follows of Wildwood. We talk about following Jesus together to the glory of God. Well, what does that involve? Well, it means that we follow him into the word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 talks about that. That's what we do at Wildwood. <laughs> That's what we do beginning with our children's ministry and through our student ministry and through our adult ministry and when we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we do what we do because this is what helps us to grow spiritually. Secondly, second follow is to follow him into worship. Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. That's why we assemble together. That's why we assemble to worship him, to honor him, to do that collectively as a group. Third follow is to follow him into community, Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 24. This means that we're not supposed to be, you know, Lone Ranger Christians. I I got my faith. I'm going to go over here in this corner. No, 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 no. He didn't design it that way. We have to be in relationship with people. There are one another's we are to practice. It's all part of spiritual growth. Got to be connected to other people. And then follow him into ministry, 1 Peter 4.10. It means we don't sort of come to church and just sit. And then we come a week later and we sit. It means we're, we're involved, we're doing things, we're, we're assisting, we're ministering, we're serving. And then the fifth follow is to follow him into mission, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, where the mission is to make disciples of all the world. And we're, we're participating in that, sometimes personally going. Sometimes it means we're helping to finance that, but we're praying towards that, but we're involved in completing the mission that he gave us to complete, and that was to make disciples in all the world. Now, here is what I'm saying by practical response. When we live out the three principles I shared, and if you live out the five follows, I have confidence that you are going to have an extra, rich, special welcome into heaven. I am confident that you will have a grand entrance and you will be honored for growing spiritually. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for this book fascinates me. It's incredible. And you have called us not to sort of drift along in our spiritual life, but to be diligent to grow. We're born to grow. And may we all be challenged by that. And may we take things like the three principles I shared and these five follows and put them into practice on a regular basis. We're not cranking it out on our own. We're not paddling on our own, but we're taking advantage of the resources you have provided. And we do all of that to honor the one who bled and died for us to honor the one who bled 
and died for us. May we be that kind of men and women and young people when we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 